Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all the subjects you're talking about in football. I'm Ian McGarry and with me, as usual, is Duncan Castles. Packed pod for you today. We'll be rounding up the January window uh, throughout, uh, but we're going to start with Manchester United and problems are mounting uh, for uh, the Old Trafford Club with regards to player behaviour, player mood and tone, as well as problems in the administrative part of the club. Duncan, Aaron Wan-Bissaka has been a little bit of a mystery this season. In fact, it's been going on for longer than that because uh, despite a very promising and positive beginning to his career at United, um, he has seemed to go backwards in terms of form and performance. Um, What's the latest with regards to... um, why he is not being seen very much on the pitch. Yeah, I, I think you, you sum it up well there. He was signed for what was a, a world record fee for a specialist fullback um, of £55 million by Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, one of the players that he targeted specifically as part of that infamous cultural reboot, which was supposed to put Manchester United back at the top of English and European football. Um, and uh, and I think there are increasing questions around the club about what kind of culture has been rebooted there, given the attitude and behaviour of some of the players at the club. Um, we have that famous or infamous, depending on your point of view, recent interview by Cristiano Ronaldo, where he, he spent about 20 minutes talking about um, the poor attitude of certain members of the squad, talking about how younger players these days were not prepared to listen to advice from senior players, talking about how it's not sufficient just to have talent. You have to have um, apply that talent and work hard and follow instruction for the team to be successful. In this context, you've got Wan-Bissaka, as you say, um, started very well for Manchester United. I think there was an argument that he was the best one-on-one defender in English football, i.e. probably the hardest player to get past and and great recovery, um, tackling ability. That has pretty much disappeared this season. Um, He's played 15 Premier League matches, five in the Champions League. He was still a guaranteed starter under Solskjaer, but performance had declined and and that ability one-on-one had fallen away to a certain extent. Um, He was stupidly sent off in a Champions League game against Young Boys, which which saw United lose and, and at one point, seriously endangered their um their, their likelihood of progressing into the the group stages of the Champions League they were kind of saved from that fate by a series of of Ronaldo goals in in later group games but um under Ranić once Solskjaer disappeared um he was relegated mostly to the sidelines in fact if you look at his recent appearances he's made just three games um, for Manchester United in the last two months and one of those was what ended up being 
uh, effectively a dead rubber against young boys in their final Champions League group game where Ranić played not quite a reserve side, but uh, certainly a number of players who had been on the, the fringe of, of selection. Um, at one point this month, uh, Ranić said that uh, that Wambasaka was ill um, and that he expected him to miss uh, the, the game coming up as well as uh, the West Ham game and said hopefully after the international break he will be back for training. My information is that um, he has missed training sessions. Other players have commented on on his attitude um, and issues that, that have been with him around the training ground. In his personal life there have been pretty well documented problems. Um, in December, he was fined £31,500 and banned from driving for six months after he was caught driving his Lamborghini while disqualified, already disqualified from driving and without insurance. Um, interestingly, his defence lawyer in that case um, cited uh, the, the behaviour of Wambasaka's agent and said that Wambasaka's agent was supposed to have collected mail sent to his former address in Croydon. Um, Wambasaka hadn't bothered to update his driving licence to say he was living in the north of England rather than London anymore. And that was the reason why he hadn't seen notices from DVLA about speeding fines and had ended up driving while um, uh, the lawyer was quoted as, as saying he felt matters had been put in hand and plainly they had not, and he must now pay the price for that. The judge wasn't impressed by that excuse. Um, information I have is that there are, there are a, a number of issues around Wambasaka, um, and uh, it's another problem that's added to quite a substantial list of issues that whoever coaches the club next season, and remember we told you on the podcast that the Glazers had in, instructed Richard Arnold to um, actively start searching for a replacement manager because they'd not been impressed by the, the change in performance since Ranić came in um, to take charge of the club from Solskjaer. It's going to be another problem in what is a fractious, um, difficult squad for the next manager to solve. Um, and of course, you, you have that that well-publicised problem now that um, they're without one of their best young talents, Mason Greenwood, because he's been arrested um, and charged and bailed um, for a, a number of serious offences. And uh, United have, have uh, made a statement saying that he won't train or play for the club. And of course, the Paul Pogba situation rumbles on. He's out of contract, etc., etc., well, now in that period where he can sign uh, a pre-contract with another club. Um, interestingly, as you mentioned, Duncan, uh, Richard Arnold's uh, brief to find a new coach for next season um, has also uh, been occasioned by the fact that Ed Woodward, who had been briefing that he would be consulting for the club on the recruitment of a new manager, even though he's leaving his post, uh, has now cleared his desk. And uh, Richard Arnold, as we reported on the pod, was very keen that he should have sole charge um, of the administrative aspects of the football department. Uh, 
he seems to have got his way. Uh, Woodward apparently will not be involved, although, of course, given his very long association with the Glazer family, I'm sure he'll still talk to them. Um, but there, there will be no direct uh, influence, if you like, um, with regards to the search for a new head coach. Another club who uh, are weighing up options, if you want to put it that way, is Liverpool. And uh, the Transfer Window podcast understands that Jurgen Klopp and the club are willing to cash in on one of their front three, who, of course, were absolutely central to them winning both the Champions League and the Premier League title. They're doing this for two reasons. One, because the three players, Salah, Firmino and Sadio Mane, are coming to a stage in their career where their value will only decrease uh, because of their age. But also because Salah is the only one who is now performing at a level uh, consistently that can justify the kind of contract that he and his representatives are asking for. Therefore, selling one of the other two uh, will make that a lot more credible with regards to funding the Sala contract, uh, as well as the fact, of course, that they are actively recruiting younger players as well. I guess we're not surprised by this, Duncan, are we? Because it, it does make logical sense. Well, we've been talking about Liverpool being open to selling um, at least one, if not more, of, of that, that forward three um, for well over a year now. I think the difference here is your information is they're now actively marketing two of the players. Um, now they have Diogo Jota well established in the lineup, and now that they've recruited Luis Diaz from Porto, um, story we talked about a lot of the the background detail of in the, the last podcast, how how they beat Tottenham Hotspur, who were infuriated by losing the player to Liverpool, and also um, beat Barcelona to that signature. I think that strengthens their hand um, in that it puts pressure on Sadio Mane. And, and Roberto Firmino, it um, it weakens their those two players' negotiating position in terms of um, trying to get a renewal should they not find a club that they want to go to, and and it probably helps them with Salah as well, um, in that they they now have Jota there, Luis Diaz who they expect to do well and to be able to uh, to play comfortably off that that left wing um, position that Manny usually holds. The the fact that they have two younger, um, high-quality forwards in should help them with the negotiations with Salah, um, who's shifted from a position of actively exploring the Spanish market in particular, hoping for a move to Real Madrid and Barcelona, to one of, I want to stay at Liverpool, but they need to pay me the money I'm worth, uh, and has been pressuring the club to give him the biggest contract in, in their history. Um, and so I think... We say this a lot with Liverpool, they are strategic in their dealings and, and I think they've been quite clever about this window. The one area where they lost out was that um, late attempt to take Fabio Carvalho from Fulham 
um, there are mixed messages about this one. What is clear is that they only agreed a transfer fee with Fulham on deadline day. Um, Fulham say that that fee was worth £8 million to them uh, with a sell-on clause and of with Carvalho, um, the 19-year-old England youth international, being loaned back to them for the rest of the season, which um, was a acceptable position for them given that Carvalho is out of contract in the summer and is now free to negotiate a pre-contract agreement with um, a European suitor which would result in them being paid just uh, a, a limited amount of FIFA mandated training compensation, nothing like the, the 8 million that they managed to get from Liverpool. And one version of events I've heard is that um, Carvalho, who is represented primarily by his brother, um, passed a medical on Monday night and then had cold feet about signing the contract, um, had reservations that Liverpool was the right place for him to go and held off long enough that the deal fell through. Why did the deal fall through? Because uh, Liverpool had left it late in the day to get uh, official permission to speak to Fabio Carvalho. He had to take his medical um, rapidly. They had to agree a contract for him to go to Liverpool and they also had to do the paperwork on him being loaned back to Fulham. And um, unlike Premier League uh, transfers, there was no deal sheet. There's no ability to extend for a couple of hours to complete a deal as long as you have agreement um, with the principles in place on Football League transfers. So everything had to be done by the 11 p.m. deadline. It wasn't. It fell through. The ver other version of events is it's simply a timing process. That uh, it wasn't that Fabio Carvalho um, had reservations about Liverpool at the last minute. It was simply they weren't able to get things through on time. What I can tell you, and this is broadly known uh, in the football world, is that his, his representation has been problematic. His brother has gone round um, a number of the top agents in world football to say to them, I want to partner with you on finding a club for Fabio um, and agreed uh, verbally with some of those individuals that they, they that they would um, have that partnership going forward and then gone and talked to uh, another agent uh, subsequently. Um, he's said to be a difficult person to work for. Um, they were previously under contract with USM. That expired in the summer. Uh, and it's certainly the case now that they are in a position to make more money from this deal in that there is very significant interest from outside the Premier League. Liverpool would still like the player. He will be out of contract in the summer. He's not going to sign a new deal with Fulham. Um, therefore, you get a position where you uh, you reduce the compensation to Fulham, to, to potentially to mere training compensation. Uh, at worst, a tribunal decided uh, fee if he goes to another English club. And, uh, and you have more money available in principle for the signing on fee and for the salary. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what decision they take. I'm told that Jurgen Klopp was very keen to get Carvalho in and that Liverpool tried extremely hard to get this deal in place and, and were disappointed that it fell through at a stage where they thought they had it under control and they, they thought they had them secured and away from uh, other English clubs and other clubs in Europe. 
You mentioned Luis Diaz, obviously, there, Duncan. Antonio Conte was um, reportedly extremely angry that uh, Spurs lost out because he himself had done quite a lot of persuading and uh, courting of the player. Now, we know that Conte is not the most easy uh, of managers uh, when it comes to uh, recruitment and the board uh, and chairman, etc. And indeed, that's why he lost his job at Chelsea, because his demands were deemed as uh, too recalcitrant and also very aggressive. And why, um, and why he exited in, uh, Juventus before he went to Chelsea. I, exactly, yeah. It's, 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 it's a strange one. I mean, look, the, the guy obviously is a pro- proven winner, but he's also trouble. Yeah, and, and clubs are aware of that. And I had conversations when Conte was waiting for a new job um, with people, high up people in football saying Conte is going to find it difficult to get the dimension of club he is looking for. He wants to win the Champions League. He wants to prove himself as one of the top coaches in world football because people know how tough he is on the players and how tough he is on the clubs. And and I think that's one of the reasons he ended up at Tottenham. Um, he turned them down last summer uh, and uh, wasn't prepared to get involved in that. Thought he could he could get a, a superior platform to work from. And in the end, he, he kind of got back in bed with a devil who he hadn't been happy with working with at Juventus, Fabio Paratici. This is, I'm told, very much a marriage of convenience on the part of those two. And it was done on a promise that there would be very significant investment in the Tottenham team and that they would build a squad capable of doing what Conte wants to do from a sporting perspective. Now, they have not done that. That's clear. And, And they had a a really quite extraordinary window in, in many ways. Um, you talk about failing on Luis Diaz. We, again, go back to the, the previous podcast for the details of that. It wasn't a good look for Tottenham at all. Um, they were telling people they had that under control and they had the player's uh, contract under control and they only needed agreement with Porto. It turned out not to be that way. Liverpool managed to gazump them and managed to persuade the player um, he was better coming to them than he than he was to Tottenham. Um, they failed on a midfielder that, that Conte wanted from Fiorentina, Sofyan Amrabat. Um, they failed on Adama Traore at right, right wing back, losing him to Barcelona, who um, offered a lower salary than, than Tottenham were offering. Um, and in the end, uh, Paratici had to go back to his old club, Juventus, to take basically a couple of players that Juventus were happy to sacrifice in order to uh, to pay for Dusan Vlaovic to come in, who was Max Allegri's absolute number one target for the window. window. Um, Paratici had to go back to his old club to try and get something done um, to turn what was looking like an absolutely disastrous window into something that had, had a... a bit of a a glow of success about it but if you talk to people in Italy about those deals he's done um, for Dejan Kulusevski which is an initial 18 month loan 3 million euros this season 7 million euros next season 
an obligatory purchase if he meets certain goals during his time at Tottenham of another €35 million. Euros. And uh, Rodrigo Bentacur, um, who has €19 million Euros, uh, guaranteed and another €6 million Euros in, in performance-related variables, they all say that uh, Allegri was happy to sacrifice both of those players. There's a big question mark about Bentancur, um, who was... When he came to Juventus, was talk, was was uh, was talked about as being a midfielder who would be number one starter for them for the next decade, and uh, well, this season he he made fifty seven percent of starts in a weak midfield. That's one of the areas that Allegri desperately wants to strengthen, and and Allegri was was happy to let him go. I asked someone close to Conte whether he was happy with those deals and he said, look, nobody comes into Tottenham without Antonio's approval. And I said, were they first choice? And he said, no, they weren't first choice. Look, add, add to that what else they've been doing. Um, so even the, the, the pursuit of Damatrori as a right wing back, um, they signed a, a right wing back in the summer, Emerson Hoyal, uh, for substantial money and are already looking to replace him in the first team. They also allowed three players, Tangi Endombele, uh, the club record signing, Giovanni Lucelso, who was bought for 52, an initial 52 million euros and 8 million of performance related variables. And um, Brian Heal, who came for 25 million plus um, Eric Lamella going the other way to Sevilla in the summer. They let all of those players go out on loan um, that's over 150 million euros of transfer fee spent on those players, all allowed to go out and loan in one window and let Deli Alley join Everton um, in an initial free transfer with payments that, that can be triggered depending how he does at that club. Now, I, I think getting rid of Deli Alley was, a, was an intelligent move or a, a necessary move. I'm told that Conte would not have used him again. Um, he, he wanted them out as an absolute priority. And I think when you, you look at Pochettino having problems with Dele Alli, Jose Mourinho having problems with Dele Alli, Nuno Espirito Santo and Antonio Conte, there's, a, there's one common denominator there. All four of those coaches wanted to use them, tried to use them, tried a lot to get the best performances out of them, all decided uh, he was a problematic player. And he's now been shifted out. But Generally, Paratici's work at Tottenham, I think, has to come under question. And um, a story, I mean, I think Heal's a good example here. That 25 million plus Eric Lamella they, they spent for the player. If you go back to our podcast at the time, we talked about Heal. We said, um, talented player, talking to, to experts in football, he said he's a talented player, but very questionable whether he is a player for the Premier League. He hasn't played a game yet. He's been loaned back to Spain saying that he and his family are very happy that he's going back to Spain. My information is that uh, Antonio Conte felt he, he is not ready for the Premier League, so happy to loan him back. The details of how that deal was done, I'm told that um, Heal was about to be sold by Sevilla to a Serie A club for around €6 million. Euros. Then Paratici contacted their sports director, Monchi, asking him how much. Uh, they would want for heel. And Monchi, who is a, a very accomplished, experienced transfer market operator, his reply was, not for less than 20 million euros will we sell him. 
Tottenham then made an offer which Monchi bargained up to 25 million plus Eric Lamella. Um, half a season later, they're loaning him back to Spain and the second coach he's worked under doesn't think he's ready to play Premier League football. There are some very big mistakes being made and we haven't even talked about here the the, the complete dog's breakfast Paratici made of hiring a coach in the summer. And of course, he's now on to his second one in under less than a year at the club. And intriguingly as well, Duncan, um, the club's technical performance director, uh, Steve Hitchin, who has spent nine years at Tottenham over two spells and uh, was considered to be both popular and good at his job, um, resigned over the fact that he couldn't work with Paratici. So now you've even got people who are Tottenham loyal loyalists uh, leaving because they don't like where the club's going. I th- I think Steve Hitchin's resignation was probably inevitable, given that he was the de facto director of football um, prior to Paratici and and they brought someone else in to to do the job. I mean, one person who is familiar with with what what was going on there told me that Hitchin was ha- happy to take on a kind of training ground direction role. Um, and, uh, and move away from the, the transfer market. But clearly he is, um, not sufficiently happy, um, to, to carry on in, in, uh, in that kind of secondary role there and, and has decided now to, to step away from the club. Rounding up the big spenders in the window, uh, Newcastle United, uh, were the biggest gross spenders uh, with Eddie Howe splashing out around £92 million in new players Uh, strangely uh, players that he's brought in um, for some people uh, do not appear to be of the value that Newcastle have paid of course we reported on the Transfer Window podcast that the new owners had made a decision not to be extravagant in the January window, but then panicked because of the club's position in the Premier League and so uh, have invested heavily in the hope that they will maintain their Premier League status. Um, what Duncan, do you think there, there's a, a little bit of kind of confusion or um, strangeness about the targets that Eddie Howe has um, authorised and gone for? Well, the targets that Eddie Howe has authorised and gone for are way stretched beyond the ones they actually got. Um, We've talked about this on a number of occasions. Unfortunately, our predictions proved to be correct. They went in with an inexperienced team um, of transfer specialists. They had Amanda Stavely as the, the chief negotiator. Um, who had never done this before in the context of signing football players. Um, They have made a lot of mistakes that they were advised by people close to them to avoid making. 
Um, obviously, they had to respond to the situation they got themselves in. Obviously, they needed to spend a lot more money and bring more players in than they had hoped to have to do when they, they took over the club um, several months ago. So you, you can't blame them for responding to that situation with the, the greatest asset they've got, which is Saudi Arabia's sovereign wealth fund and, and the money they're prepared to put in to the club. What you can question is whether they did it in the most efficient manner and whether they did it with the best people available to them. In my view, they did not do either. Um, I can tell you they had the opportunity to um, to have uh, one of uh, uh, Europe's top um, sports directors uh, working for them on a contingency, effectively on a contingency basis. So he, he would just look after this window um, for a one-off fee um, and I'm told that that fee would have been returnable had they been relegated from the Premier League at the end of the season. In my view, it was a, a superb opportunity to get expertise in. They decided to stick with Steve Nixon, who um, is not a bad recruitment professional, but had never worked at this end of the market before. Um, and to, to bring in um, Nicky Hammond as a, a short-term advisor, to help them with that. They also used Eddie Howe. Eddie Howe's nephew, um, I understand, was brought on board to assist in the process. Um, Eddie Howe was forced to put a lot more effort into recruitment than he would normally have wanted to, given a scenario where they have to get that team performing or they do go down. It doesn't matter who you buy in the window. If Eddie Howe can't get the results on the pitch, they go down regardless. Then you can look at the, the players they've got. This is, a, this is a team that has struggled to score goals and has won just two games all season. In terms of attacking players, what they've bought is Chris Wood um, paying a Premier League record fee for a 30-year-old activating the release clause from Burnley for someone who has not been a prolific goal scorer recently. Um, and if you listen to the Newcastle explanation of that, it was partly done because they had a shortage of players going into a particular game and he was immediately accessible to them because of that release clause. Um, they tried on deadline day uh, to get Hugo Ekitike in from Rem, um, a player they'd been they'd made a bid for earlier in the window. Um, the president of the French club had essentially said after that bid what his asking price for the player would be. They left it to the last day to meet that asking price. It was the bid was accepted, only for the player to say, No, I don't I'm not sure this is the right time for me to come to English football. He's he's playing his first full season of football in France. Um, I'm told uh, Ekitiki's parents uh, advised him it wasn't the, the right step for him in his career. And I think that in itself is a, is a major mistake to get to the last day of the window and to put that kind of money down for a player who is only 19 years old and wouldn't have been a guaranteed immediate success in the Premier League. Very talented. I can, I can understand why they were looking at him, but I don't know if he was going to be the immediate answer for them in terms of staying up and then still failed to get him because they didn't have the player on board in advance. We saw that happening with other um, attempted purchases um, such as Diego Carlos, um, an offer going into Sevilla before they had got Carlos's acceptance to come. Um, their biggest spend is on Bruno Guimaraes, uh, uh, an initial 42.5 million euros. Their 
um, they did find a club who was prepared to just take the money and, and let a player go who they think can make a long-term difference. But the brief from within the club is they're not sure he'll be able to adapt quick enough um, to the Premier League this season. And what they need are immediate players to come and improve things. They've certainly improved their squad. They've got better players available to them. Did they get the best possible? I don't think so. And and the kind of overspending the, and the, the class of players they've gone for, Matt Target uh, on loan from Aston Villa, uh, essentially taking a player who Aston Villa had replaced with a better left back in Lucadinha from Everton. Dan Byrne, um, I understand that the, the fee was £30 million plus a further five million pounds of bonuses for a player who will, who will turn 30 in May. Um, that Dan Byrne is a decent Premier League player, but he is not the top quality centre back they were looking for to lead their defence that they talked about wanting to have in at, at the start of the transfer window. Um, it's far less efficient and a far poorer end product than. I think they could have achieved with better professionals running the process. What we're going to find out is if if it's enough um, for Eddie Howe to get them out of what's going to be a very competitive uh, relegation fight this season. It certainly is. Um, I mean, I've seen a lot of Dan Burton playing for Brighton and he is an efficient player. He can play... Um, across the back three or as a left wing back. He's extremely tall, so that doesn't surprise me at all that Eddie Howe's gone for him <laughs> because <laughs> I think the football might be quite direct um, despite this myth about him being some kind of coaching genius um, who, uh, you know, could, could rival Pep Guardiola when it comes to um, technical ability. So... Uh, yeah, I'm I'm quite intrigued to see how this is going to work out. Uh, another team who've spent quite a lot of money and who have a new coach are Everton. Uh, Frank Lampard obviously has decided to accept that job, having turned down Newcastle United, um, having been out of work for a year. Uh, strangely, uh, his trusted lieutenant, uh, Jody Morris, who he had with him at Derby County, and uh, at Chelsea in the 18 months he was in charge there, uh, obviously both former Chelsea players. Uh, Jody had a lot to do with coaching as someone who had his UEFA Pro licence for six years where Frank had only just started his coaching badges uh, when they went uh, before they went to Derby. Now, Joe Edwards has come in as assistant manager, Duncan, Paul Clement, another former academy uh, graduate uh, in terms of coaching from Chelsea and one who's had three jobs since, uh, has been Carlo Ancelotti's assistant at both Real Madrid and Paris Saint-Germain. And Chris Jones, as well, are there to assist Lampard. Now, the information I have from the dressing room at Everton is that the uh, players were relieved and pleased that Rafa Benitez had been sacked. Uh, clearly, they had, had down tools and weren't playing for him anyway. And, of course, Rafa Benitez is quite famous for being aloof uh, with regards to the way he communicates 
um, and uh, doesn't really express a lot of emotional intelligence when it comes to speaking with encouraging and motivating players. Lampard, of course, uh, given his playing career, uh, demands respect and commands respect um, in any dressing room. And uh, the fact that he has managed Chelsea already uh, is another factor. However, um, uh, everything's going to depend on results because Everton is a a club and a team who are struggling. Um, Would we have said before the season started that both Newcastle United and Everton would be in danger of getting relegated? No, we wouldn't. And they've now both changed managers, invested a lot of money in the January window and the obvious you know, ambition to stay in the Premier League. But it's an odd situation um, for English football to have two of their biggest clubs in a situation like this. I'm not saying they're both going down because clearly Norwich and Burnley are struggling badly and they're smaller clubs. But still, Duncan, um, you're looking at a situation where, you know, there could be a real um, dogfight at the end of the season with regards to who stays up and who goes down. I think there will be. And I think the the match between Newcastle and Everton is going to be a fascinating and important one. Um, I'm intrigued to see how Lampard sets up um, how he he has that team playing. He's talked a lot in his his introductory interview at Everton about wanting to be front foot, playing attacking football, more creative football. Um, it's fascinating for me that he was a candidate and for the the Newcastle United job, um, and reluctant about that position, and ends up taking Everton because I think Everton is a. Uh, as a long-term prospect, as a medium-term prospect, a, a far poorer one than Newcastle United are at present. There's a good chance Newcastle end up in the championship because of, for the reasons we, we just talked about in some detail, but they, they certainly have the revenue behind them and I think they will eventually learn lessons and they will, similar to Manchester City, they will eventually get it right. Um, Everton, uh, again, something we mentioned about on the uh, on the previous podcast, um, serious financial issues at present, um, s- serious problems to be addressed, a very messy squad. Um, that is not an easy job to take on. I think one bonus for Lampard is that Jody Morris isn't with him. Um, I think talking to to people who are familiar with his coaching style. Um, familiar with the, the work he did at Chelsea, they would point to some pretty basic errors he was making in terms of setting out team set pieces that were costing Chelsea goals um, and ceding chances to the opposition, even when they had their you know, Lampard and him had a, had a strong start at the club. Um, question will be whether Joe Edwards and, and Paul Clement are sufficient improvement on Jody Morris. Clement certainly highly regarded as an assistant by Carlo Ancelotti, who took him to Paris Saint-Germain and, and Real Madrid with him. Um, Clement didn't do well uh, as, a, as a solo manager, but that doesn't mean he, he can't be an, an effective assistant to Lampard. 
I think also interesting the recruitment they made. I mean, very eye-catching, um, uh, quite glamorous double signing of Deli Ali and Donny van de Beek. I think van de Beek is something that has a lot of potential for them. If Lampard can um, provide the platform for him, to, he has a, a huge amount to prove. Very frustrated with what's happened to him at Manchester United. Um, obviously would like to get back into the Manchester United first team and he'll be playing in order to to set himself up for what will potentially be a new manager coming in at Manchester United in the summer. But also, um, if that's impossible, playing for a move elsewhere in the summer to ensure he has a platform to get into the Netherlands team for the World Cup. So I think, I think that is a, a strong advantage to them for the reasons I discussed uh, when it comes to Deli Alley earlier um i'm surprised about that deal in the sense that you're, you're taking a second player who often plays in the same position as van de beek um when finances are tight why not use that money for elsewhere in the team but um the background to this is that delhi ali's deal to everton was done by the same agents who did frank lampard's deal to everton and uh, my understanding is it's it was very much a joint package Indeed. I've got a sneaky suspicion, Duncan, that Van der Beek will actually prove how good a player he is at Everton, even if uh, he's playing in a, a team which at the moment certainly is struggling. But uh, he's got such good technical ability, um, which we've seen uh, in the past, that uh, he just never got a look in really at Manchester United. He was, he was almost like an afterthought when... Uh, he was bought um, by United, and now it looks like he will pro he will start. Um, he's a kind of player that Lampard um, likes, admires, in terms of uh, skill and ability to pick a pass. And um, yeah, I, I as I said, uh, time will tell. But I do th I do have a suspicion that he will uh, show exactly what he can do. Well, one, he was one of the many victims of Uli Gunnar Solskjaer's um, strange selection policy, which was essentially to have 11 players he preferred to have in the team and, and pick them game after game after game until until they got injured. Um, we should also mention Manchester City here, since we're doing a review of the window in many ways, um, I think achieved one of the, the best financial transactions of, of this window in that they... They sold Ferran Torres to Barcelona for a substantial transfer fee. Um, Torres wanting uh, to take that opportunity up to go back to Spanish football and replaced him with uh, Julian Alvarez, the, the Argentina international who um, we, you'll remember, we flagged up earlier in the window that his agent had been touring um, the biggest clubs in Europe. Um, making them aware that the 21-year-old was available on a 20 million euro release clause. Um, Real Madrid, one of those clubs he he had talked to, and, and Real Madrid examined that deal before deciding it wasn't wasn't the right one for them. But City have got a player of a similar type. Um, interestingly, when I was talking a, a, about Alvarez with a, with a recruitment specialist and asking where he thought he would fit, he said probably not a player for the Premier League unless it was for Pep Guardiola. He will fit that system well. He is uh, a capable presser. He, his, his best position at present is a, 
is as a, a number 10 and a 4-4-1-1 formation. So as a, a, a kind of nine and a half that, that Guardiola increasingly likes to play at City, he should fit well. So clever business by City, banking money um, and bringing in a player uh, who they will have long term at a period in which they are they they have to renew contracts or decide to sell um, a number of their other attacking players um, Raheem Sterling, Gabriel Jesus, Riyad Mahrez all out of contract in in 2023. So they've kind of replenished the bank and uh, and can now focus on those renewals. Um, they they've also. Uh, retained Jean Cancelo, who had um, significant interest from other European clubs because of the way he had played at City. Um, they've given him a new contract, which makes him one of the highest earners at the club, um, basically on the second tier of, of earning at, uh, at City and are looking to renew other players and, uh, and obviously um, pushing on that number nine position that they, they failed to fill um, with after bidding for Harry Kane in the summer. All in all, Manchester City seem to be the most clever operators, um, along with Liverpool, in the transfer market. Um, as always, we will wrap up the pod with hero and villain. Duncan, um, this one's very close to my heart. Uh, your hero... Uh, please. Uh, Vim Janssen, who sadly passed away last week. Um, some great words from Johan Cruyff about the, the former Netherlands international, one of his, his teammates and, uh, and, a, and a, one of his top coaches in, in world football for a period. He said, Cruyff said about Janssen, one of only four men in the world worth listening to when they talk about football. Famously, one the title at Celtic in 1998, which I'll, I'll let you talk about, Ian, because you were a lot closer to that than I was. I met him in Japan um, when he came out there three years later um, to coach Urawa Reds um, with uh, a friend of mine, um, Hans Uft. Um, <laughs> and by chance, I turned up to the initial press conference in a green and white hooped jersey, which caught his <laughs> eye. <laughs> <laughs> called me over, asked me whether I was a Celtic fan and, and we had a good chat about Scottish football. And, and Did you said, lie and said you were? <laughs> of course not. <laughs> of course not. But I did get some good content from him, which I sold back to the uh, to the Scottish papers. Um, but he was, a, he was a gentleman and uh, successful in Japan as well with that Urawa Reds team, built the foundations for a team that, that went on to become Japanese and Asian champions um, and uh, very sad to hear the news of his passing. Likewise, Duncan, um, I got to know him very well uh, during his time at Celtic. Uh, I covered the team that season and of course it was the infamous uh, 10 in a row for Rangers, uh, one which saw me get banned by Watersmith uh, <laughs> for my coverage. Always, um, always a man of good judgment, Walter Smith. Oh, no, we became very good friends after that. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to just give two quick anecdotes about Vim. Um, the first one is, uh, would you believe we shared the same hairdresser? 
<laughs> Fortunately, not the same hairstyle. Well, he's definitely got one of the best 1970s perms that I've ever seen. Um, but we shared the same hair- hairdresser in Uddingston, which is uh, close to where he lived. And um, my, uh, my, my uh, hairstylist told me that Vim had been in the day before and uh, he'd, he'd given him a trim. Vim wasn't one for obviously getting a, the full short back and sides. <laughs> and um, when he'd finished, he he, he had uh, sort of you know, blow, blow dried Vim's hair and, and uh, then did the whole mirror thing. And he said, is that okay? And Vim said, no, no, wider. It needs to be wider. <laughs> <laughs> I said, are you sure he wasn't talking about wingbacks? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and the other one is, I went to interview him a year after he left Celtic because, of course, he was only there for one season uh, and he's home in Rotterdam. And uh, I uh, got the train to from Amsterdam, uh, Schiphol Airport, uh, and he absolutely insisted on coming and picking me up uh, from the train station and took me to his house where his wife prepared lunch for us. And we spent five hours chatting about football. And it was one of the most enlightening conversations I've ever had. Um, so uh, may he sleep well. So on the other side of the coin, the villain of this week, uh, not for the first time, is FIFA, who um, on the uh, usual FIFA gravy train, they love do love a trip to a um, rather exotic city. They went to Montevideo uh, and had a two-day convention with uh, uh, members of various agents' associations two days before the transfer window in Europe closed because, of course, European agents, in fact, every agent, wouldn't be interested in being in Europe at the time uh, when... Uh, the transfer window was closing and most business gets done. Uh, and instead, uh, they had to be in Montevideo and, uh, rather than being uh, doing their work and getting paid. So uh, well done, Gianni Infantino. Uh, classic timing as always. And uh, we shall continue to be on your back for your um, ridiculous uh, ideas and decisions as uh, your presidency of FIFA goes forward. This has been the news before it becomes news on the Transfer Window podcast. Please engage with us on our social media platforms and they are at Transfer Podcast on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. You can also find us on YouTube. Uh, Just search Transfer Window Podcast and you'll find us very easily. Duncan individually is on at Duncan Castles. I'm on a Garbo SG. Uh, and until the next pod, just gonna say stay well, be safe, and thanks for listening.